Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia. He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Welcome back. Fight fans to the Big Fight Reaction Show here on BTR Boxing Podcast Network. I'm joined this week by Luke, who is stepping in for Johnston, who's got some technical problems with his laptop. He'll be cursing us not being able to come on the show right now and talk about the fights from the weekend because there were some forgettable moments, as you like to say, Luke, and there were some uh, very, very good moments. And starting with the big fight of the weekend, Dimitri Bivol. The biggest question I take away from Bivol's performance is this year is that has he done enough to earn the moniker of fighter of the year as as many people are calling for i mean first off thanks for having me on the show and i don't see anyone that's making a challenge or a contention for that moniker i think that bivol has to be the guy he's had massive wins this year he's beaten canelo which is a huge win for him regardless of the fact he's the light heavyweight canelo was the one moving up uh Obviously, with what Canelo did previously against an aged Sergei Kovalev, people maybe were expectant that he could do something against Bivol, and Bivol showing everybody what he's all about. His boxing skills, his ability, his, his patience in the ring. And we saw it again against Zudo Ramirez. I think his patience throughout the course of this fight paid off because in the early rounds of the fight, you look at the, the, the size difference, which I thought was immense he, I was really shocked by the size of Zudo Ramirez and I did see a few of his fights down at 168 but then it made me think how the hell did Ramirez make 168 this guy is like a cruiserweight and I think there was a question in the post-fight interview about him potentially moving up to cruiserweight my word he was very big on the night but you know what it didn't matter because Bivol used every trick in the book and just was patient methodical did what he needed to do, and towards the back end of the fight, he, he essentially, for me, started to completely control 
Zudo Ramirez. Very much so, you know, and I think the big thing that I saw was Dimitri Bivol's foot speed and hand speed was a major game changer. And I also think the fact that he came out and pressed Zordo, who I think mentally came into the fight thinking I'm going to impose my will. I'm going to press the action. Having Bivol take the center of the ring and dictate the pace and move forward I think that was a mental barrier that Ramirez struggled with getting past. So going forward then from this particular fight and looking at what options are available for Bivol and Ramirez, starting with Bivol first, the talk of the Canelo rematch down at 168 is something that's been spoken about quite prominently, but he didn't really seem that bothered about the fight. The the impression I got was... I'm going to let my team handle this side of the business and whoever they put on the table, whatever makes the most business sense is the fight that I'm going to take. The fight that we want to see, or most people would like to see, of course, is Bivol versus Baturbiev. Who is the real king of the light heavyweight division? Bivol, at the moment, for me, stands out above Baturbiev. I think his resume in particular, I think he's what I would say puts him above Baturbiev is the best light heavyweight at the moment, but there's a score that needs to be settled. And Baturbiev is fighting Anthony Yard in early 2023. So once that fight is done and dusted, and I'm already making early predictions that he'll he'll knock Anthony Yard out. But I honestly think this is a fight that that would make the true king of the light heavyweight division known. And at the moment, I I'd, I would favour Bivol to be honest, regardless of Baturbiev's monstrous power. And his resume and his record and everything he's done so far, I think the skills and ability that we've seen from Bivol is what would win him that fight. I think he he seems calm under pressure. And I think that was one of the things out of the two fights that I've seen him in this year. I think I've took that away and thought, you know, if someone like a Baturbiev was coming at him with a, a level of educated pressure, how would he do against a guy that can punch as hard as Baturbiev does and I think he would do fine I genuinely think it would be uh, an interesting matchup and and maybe there's going to be one or two rocky moments if that fight takes place but at this moment in time my sort of fixation on who wins that fight is is swaying towards Bivol what would you say at this moment well I agree I think that you have to give the edge to Bivol I believe they fought in the amateurs and Baturbiev or Baturbiev uh, beat him in the amateurs. I'm not official on that, but I, that's like kind of the urban legend I've heard in gyms. I think that Bivol to me right now is the best guy in the sport. To be honest with you, he's the youngest, most dominant fighter who had the best year. I think I put him above Tyson Fury. I put him above Usyk. I put him above Inoue. It might seem like a prisoner of the moment, but I was making for my newsletter the top 15 fighters. And if you're you basing it upon challenges and the way he's performing in big challenges... It's hard to find another fighter out there who's consistently taking these type of challenges and having these type of performances. So that being said, but better beeves a guy where he's only fighting once a year. I'm waiting for that to catch up to him. I think that might be the difference if he fought a Bivol. I think with Bivol, in terms of a pound-for-pound conversation, a lot of people was talking about the fact that that surely puts him right up at the top end of the pound-for-pound list now. And I I would like to agree with many sports journalists who are now suggesting that he certainly sits up at that top end of the pound-for-pound list. And I think everything you've just said there, Luca, are the reasons why I would put him right up there. I'm not so sure whether I'd throw him right in at the top. There's definitely an argument for it. Definitely an argument for it. I mean, you can't really sit there and say Terence Crawford is the number one at the moment. 
honestly, I couldn't say that. He hasn't done enough. I mean, for me, before before Canelo lost to Bivol, I, I was honestly saying Canelo was the guy. I thought Canelo, for me, was, was the number one, maybe followed closely by Alexander Usyk. And however you want to sort of put that top three, four guys in there is, is subjective. But for me, Bivol now sits within that top three. And some people's pound-for-pound pound list, you might even put him at the top now, given the challenges that he's, he's overcome and he's faced. And he's done it with such ease. I think that's the biggest thing that I've took away from it. How easy has he made it look, them two fights? He's made it look easy. Yeah, and I think I think the big thing for me is when I look at a so a lot of people go I don't like pound for pound lists. Well, I don't like the business of boxing. I actually do like pound for pound lists because that's talking about the sport. For some reason, people don't like the idea. Like you're probably like me. We like the history. We like thinking about ways of where do fighters fit in rankings. How can we rank them in the terms of history? And I think for me, when I look at a pound for pound list, I look at a few factors. Do they make weight? is something that matters to me. Shakur's off my pound for pound list because he missed weight. Like that seems like a little thing to people, but if guys are making weight, I look at multiple world title defenses, but a huge thing for me is who are you fighting and are you challenging the best? Because it's not just about talent. It's are you actively seeking the best fights? The fighters that seek the best fights should be rewarded historically. In my opinion, I have Crawford currently at number six based on inactivity He's sliding down my list based off of his inactive realm in the sport right now. And that's understandable. I think that's why I was saying about Crawford, some people had him right up there. Not for me at the moment because of the inactivity. And I'm not going to say it's unwillingness to take on the challenge. We we don't really know the full reasoning behind why the Errol Spence fight doesn't happen. I mean, I know he went on Instagram. He did this whole thing on Instagram a week or so ago. I didn't really pay too much attention to it, if I'm being totally honest. So I'm not going to try and, you know, go into the depths of everything that was said. I just know that he's tried to defend himself as to why he's not had the Errol Spence fight. For me, it's just all politics. You know, me and Johnston always say, let's just get it on, get the fight going. It's a fight that everybody wants to see. It makes sense financially as well. So why not just get it on? Why is there so many stumbling blocks to fights like that? And we've talked about this many times on on this show and your show as well, about the the stumbling blocks that other people, aside from the fighters, put into place that prevents these huge fights from happening. And instead, I still think we're getting a good fight for Crawford. I still think Avenincian's a good fight. People might not look at it like that on your side of the pond because of the fact that they don't really know what Avenincian's done. And I think for us, we've seen him beat one of our highly rated prospects we've seen him beat guys that maybe he wasn't essentially expected to do a number on and he's done a number on it so it kind of puts him a little bit further up in 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 our estimations as UK fight fans because we've seen what he's done firsthand and could he do that to Crawford well maybe you'll cause some problems for him maybe you won't but it remains to be seen what happens it's a good fight but it's not the fight we wanted to see and I think that's where the problem lies with with Crawford that's why like you you're putting him down at number six he slides down there for me and that's why Bivol would slide up there and that's why Bivol would certainly be in the top three so you know for me Dimitri Bivol has done enough this year to be rewarded as the fighter of the year because who else could challenge him for that mantelpiece would you say would you say Alexander Usyk could challenge him for that mantelpiece would you know, it's only, it's only been one fight, you know, the Joshua rematch, the Joshua win. Is that enough to justify it? I don't think it is. I think the only guy that was making a case was Bam Rodriguez and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. If Chocolatito beats Estrada, Bam didn't look all that great. It looks like he was a little bit tired in his third fight this year. 
I think that derailed his chance at fighter of the year. And I think Roman Gonzalez, he has two really good wins that I think if he beats Estrada, really good win. But I think you have to give it to Bibble, who fought basically the best version of Canelo in terms of confidence. And then after beating that version of Canelo, he beats one of the most confident young challengers who was a lot of people thought was going to give him issues. No one has the resume this year. No, no, I, I agree with that. I agree that I think he is the only one that does. In terms of big fights in one year, I'm, I'm pretty sure Bivol sort of tops a lot of them, doesn't he? You know, he's had two huge fights in one year. I think you can't argue with that. I mean, this, these types of fights, you know, it takes a year, maybe two years, just for these guys to have these types of fights. I mean, it took, what, Joshua Anusik... Obviously, there's problems in Ukraine which prevented the rematch from happening. But, you know, one fight per year for each of them is is just not really acceptable, I suppose, in, in our minds. And, and I don't understand why they wouldn't vie for more or why they wouldn't push for more. Given any other normal circumstances, there's no reason for them not to happen. But Bivol had these two fights against two guys, essentially, who... I wouldn't say he was an underdog in the Ramirez fight. He was certainly being labelled as a little bit of an underdog in the Canelo fight, in my eyes. The, the sort of general consensus I've seen from many people that, that get involved in boxing media seem to think that Canelo is so special that you know he will beat Bivol as well. And for me, Bivol took him to school and showed him the difference in the weight classes and the difference against a, a guy who can freely be so fluid and, and, and his footwork be so on point that he was able to negate everything that Canelo brought to him. Did the same against Ramirez. And Ramirez was much, much bigger than him. Like I said earlier, I was just so surprised at how much bigger than Bivol that he was. And I think when I look at him now, I don't really see him as a as a natural light heavyweight. I think he's had five fights. That was his sixth fight in the light heavyweight division. Does Ramirez really stay there now? Is there is there anything left he could do now? Because he kind of... He's on the fringes after this world title challenge. He's on the fringes again because the big fight is obviously Peterbiev and, and Bivol now. Who else can he beat? I mean, there was a couple of UK light heavyweights maybe that he could go in with, but I honestly see him moving up to cruiserweight. I think that's maybe where his future could lie. So based on, on what you've seen of Ramirez, with that being his first loss in 45 fights, does he stay around in the light heavyweight division? Would you like to see any more fights there? Or does he just make that jump to cruiserweight and get involved in some more competitive fights? I mean, as a purist, I'd like to see him against Callum Smith or Joshua Buatzi or even a John Pascal. These are three guys that are just below that elite tier, in my opinion. And to, to have one of those fights, I know people really are high on some of these people more than me, but I think that that's what the sport needs are a guy who is at the top. Can he fend off the challenger? From a management perspective, I hear what you're saying. Cruiserweight is a historically very weak division. If Zordo goes to cruiserweight, he automatically becomes a big fish in the pond. And I think Lawrence Acoli is looking for someone to kind of get him. And this is a guy who just had a big fight in Saudi Arabia. And I think that within a fight or two, he could possibly get the Acoli fight if he were to move to cruiserweight. Well, that's if Akoli sticks around in cruiserweight because he's naturally, you can tell he's going to be moving up to heavyweight and they've made no secret about the fact that he will move up to heavyweight. There's going to be maybe one or two fights left for him in cruiserweight. Maybe Zerdo could be one of them fights because it certainly would bring in the business, especially if it was over there in the US because you know, you'd know you have all the fans there, the Mexicans, the Mexican-Americans that would, would certainly tune in to want to see 
Zerdo get his victory and pick up a world title in the cruiserweight division. What better way to do it than to bring a Brit over uh, and put him in the lion's den and, and, and make him sort of go toe-to-toe with Zerdo? I think that would be an interesting fight. It's whether that it could... Whether their paths could cross in time before Akoli does decide to move up, that would be my only concern with that fight actually taking place. But it's a really good fight. And then you mentioned light heavyweight, Callum Smith, Joshua Barazzi. Well, these two guys are facing off against each other uh, in the not-too-distant future. That fight has been announced and confirmed. So the winner of that, yeah, why not? That that would be automatically, that would be a great fight because the winner of that will automatically be waiting in the wings because that make would make them mandatory, I believe, for the WBC title, which is currently held by Baturbiev. So the winner of Smith versus Buatzi will be waiting, essentially, for the winner of Baturbiev versus Yard in early 2023. Maybe then that fight could happen and then maybe would get Bivol at the back end of 2023. That would be the ideal scenario for me as a fan, anyway. I'd like to see it play out like that. But uh, overall, I was impressed by the performance of Bivol. Very impressed. So much so that I definitely think he deserves the title of Fighter of the Year. It was uh, it was really, really good. And, and It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. To be honest with you, it wasn't the only fight on that card that I actually thoroughly enjoyed. Obviously, I don't want to spend all of the show talking about Dimitri Bivol and how good a performance he had. I was actually really impressed with the Chantal Cameron and the Jessica McCaskill fight. I was impressed with Cameron more than I was McCaskill. I felt McCaskill took her a long time to get going in that fight. And I think for the first four or five rounds of it, I felt like she looked she looked quite amateurish. Like They said that there was a bit of a head clash in the first round that caused a little bit of a welt on her head that, that kind of disorientated her a little bit. And then as the rounds went on, she started to put the pressure on. She seemed a bit more refined in what she was doing. It wasn't as wild and as amateurish, should I say, in, in terms of what she was throwing at Cameron. She put the pressure on her in the back end of the fight, but by that point, it felt too little too late for her. 
for me, Cameron made the undisputed welterweight champion look pretty average in that fight en route to picking up the other titles in the division and becoming the undisputed champion in the super lightweight division. What did you make of the performances of both of the ladies on the night? Uh, Cameron continues to impress me. She feels like a pillar of women's boxing. I love her inherent meanness. I'm interested in her mental makeup because there were some points in this fight where her mentality, I look at round seven and I was like, she got cut. And the Chantel Cameron after a cut, very normal human trait. You're not the same fighter. But it was interesting to see a bit of her demeanor change because we've seen her so dominant, in, imposing herself. I also wrote in my mail column, my newsletter, and I wanted to throw this on the show because I was proud of it. Jessica McCaskill was a painter. She'd be Jackson Pollock. She's not. It's not about making it look. The process isn't pretty, but it's highly effective. So I was impressed with Chantel Cameron having a dominant performance because even though McCaskill isn't what we call fundamentally sound, she's very imposing, she's very tough, and she knows how to win fights ugly. And Cameron still was able to win a fight against a fighter who doesn't care how they look. They're not trying to win on style points. They're trying to win on tough points. And I think that did say something to me about where Cameron's ceiling is. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And you make sense when you talk about the mindset of McCaskill and the way like she likes to get things done. I mean, I've seen her a bit, a little bit more refined than that. And I think in the second half of the fight, she felt more refined than what she was in the earlier stages of the fight. So I don't know whether it was this, this clash of heads, which maybe caused a disorientation. And I don't know. I mean, I'm just start maybe reaching out a little bit there. Uh, that was kind of what was said at the time during the commentary that uh, apparently Rick Ramos had said this during the, between rounds that that was a problem that you know that actually caused her not to be able to get going but I think once she got going she did put the pressure on Cameron it made Cameron have to really think about what else she was doing and not just utilize that jab the jab was effective for her in the fight but as the rounds went on and Cameron's the pressure started coming on Cameron from McCaskill you started to see better quality coming through from McCaskill and then like you said it was about the change of demeanor what do I need to do to, to keep this girl off me and that's kind of what I felt like it was going into in the last few rounds like Cameron was she was fighting a lot more on the back foot in the latter rounds of the fight and she was letting McCaskill come to her she was using some good effective counter punching but there was times where McCaskill was getting through with some clean shots you know and I was a little bit like whoa you know this she, she take too many of them and you know this could be good night Vienna for, for Chantal Cameron but I think they're both very tough individual people as human beings anyway and I think that played into this fight and it was a good performance from Cameron a little bit of a better performance in the second half from McCaskill but makes you wonder now like what's next do they do they fight up at welterweight for the welterweight undisputed crown because I know Cameron said that in the post-fight interview she said she'd like to go up and fight for McCaskill's belts now yeah but why would you do that like if you're McCaskill wouldn't you go oh yeah that's cool but like I mean I feel like if you just lost to someone and you're only getting older and Cameron's saying that I'd look at this Tasha Jonas fight or something and be like, okay, maybe I could move up and challenge one of those because it's like there was a football game in America once and it was the Bengals versus the Jets. And I know that's meaningless to most people because they don't watch the NFL over there. But to get into the playoffs, they had to play each other. And then the following week, they played each other again because the game to get into the playoffs you face and it was the same result in the same game. So I'm saying just from a standpoint of, I, I think 
Rick Ramos is a smart manager. I think McCaskill is a smart human being. I don't really see where they get an advantage doing that other than if they get a lot of money. That's kind of all I thought it might be. If anything, it'd be money orientated, if anything. But I think she's a very proud woman, Jessica McCaskill, and I don't see why she would want to do that if, if absolutely necessary. At the end of the day, she's the undisputed welterweight champion. She could quite easily go back to America now and, and face any mandatory challenges that she needs to and, and still pick up paychecks while she's doing it. I mean, does she want a bigger fight? Does she want to push for a bigger fight? Is is that hunger and desire there to do that? I think it is. I get the impression from from Ramos and from McCaskill that, that the hunger and desire is there to still do that, uh, even though, you know, I'm saying it like she's on the back end of her career. She's the undisputed welterweight champion, for God's sake. So, you know, for me, she's got plenty of options available to her. I was just wondering whether there'd be an interest in that rematch with Cameron. But I have always thought Cameron and Katie Taylor would be the fight that maybe would be more feasible for the UK and, and then the Irish fight fans. I think that would be a more feasible fight because that would mean Katie Taylor could move up again to the super lightweight division and challenge for all the, the super lightweight belts in Ireland. You know, why would Cam I'm sure Chancel Cameron would go to Croke Park in Ireland in front of all those Irish fans and she would put them titles on the line. And I'm sure Katie Taylor would would absolutely live up to the hype and we'd get a really, really good fight between them. This is a fight that has been talked about in the UK for quite some time. So that would be a more logical fight that I'd like to see than the McCaskill rematch up at, up at welterweight. What do you think about a Taylor-Cameron fight? Any interest in that? I love it, but I just think that Cameron has Taylor's number. Younger, faster, bigger, stronger. And once again, Katie Taylor, pioneer, she opened the doors for women's boxing. I think the ball's in her court if she wants to provide this opportunity. And I think Cameron, not, not trash talking, but being adversarial to Katie Taylor, I don't know if Katie's going to open that door and allow her that opportunity because true legends like Katie Taylor, they carry a lot of weight in the sport and their words carry a lot of weight. So we'll have to see if Katie wants to give her that opportunity. So let's round up a few of the other fights then. Just get your opinion on some of the other fighters on the card. Zelfa Barrett in his challenge for the IBF title, super featherweight title, the vacant title that was stripped from Joe Cordina against Rakimov. And he was doing very well up until round nine and seemingly received a punch, which I'm hearing has actually perforated his eardrum. And that was why he started to go on shaky legs all of a sudden for no apparent reason. Because he, for me, he was winning this fight. He was he was doing well. Rakimov was putting the pressure on as the, the rounds were ticking away. But I felt Barrett was still in control. And I'll be honest, I predicted Rakimov would win this fight between rounds eight and nine. That was my, uh, that was my actual prediction on the fight. However, when the fight started to take place and Barrett started to control the fight and control the distance and you know he was able to throw some great combinations to the head and to the body and be effective in it I I thought well the fight was going on that maybe maybe he'll just he'll be able to cruise this to a points decision a close points decision but then something happened in that that ninth round and it just caused complete chaos for Barrett and Rakimov you know being the uh, puncher that he is and being the, the great finisher that he is he took advantage of it and made sure that he didn't left Barrett off the hook and he goes on now to become the IBF champion but has automatically now got to fight Joe Cardina that fight was agreed for the winner of this fight for the vacant title to take on Joe Cardina, who was stripped of the title. So Rakimov versus Joe Cardina is a, a brilliant fight. 
that I'd be looking forward to. But just going back to the one at hand, what did you make of the performance of Zelfa Barra up until that ninth round? And what did you think of the Rakimov finish? Well, thank you for phrasing it that way, because I was actually going to, in my James Bond villain shirt, um, say, I think the unwritten story of this, or maybe it is the written, I haven't read much about it, is Zelfa Barrett fought the fight of his life, and it was the inexperience in a world title fight, I think, that cost him. What I saw in this bout was Zelfa Barrett was there to win, and he was fighting the best fight I've ever seen him, drops Rachmanov, but it looked like Rachmanov having that world title fight against Jojo Diaz was the difference between the two. He had the world title experience. He had a little bit more fights and he stayed composed and held, had a deep uh, rooted belief that at some point he was going to land and it was going to be a difference maker. And that was the difference. And I think that the only issue was as bittersweet as it is, Selfa just didn't have the experience for that moment. And he tried very hard to stop him. But once the tide had switched, I think that Rockmanoff is a downhill guy and he got the win. I just think it's it's very unfair Joe Cordina lost his belt. I don't think that he should have been stripped. He just won the belt. It was a fantastic knockout. It was a big win. It was a hard win. And I think that this should have been an interim title to fight Cordina. I just don't think that it's fair that Cordina was stripped of the title. Well, none of us thought it was fair, but they did what they did. Uh, I believe it was because the injury to the hand wasn't declared, and that was the problem. It wasn't declared to the IBF. So apparently, if it would have been declared to them uh, at some point, this is just, again, I'm going a, a little bit off inside knowledge of people within the sport that I know that I speak to off air. Apparently, this was down to the fact, as I said, it was something to do with the fact that he knew he had a hand injury and he knew that he was going to have to have surgery, but he didn't declare that information to the sanctioning body. So as a result, they said, right, well, you didn't tell us about this problem. That's going to keep you out for a certain length of time. That title is is basically not going to be defended for a certain length of time. We're not happy with that. So what we're going to do is we're going to strip you of the title and then we'll let two guys fight for it, number one and number two, whoever that may be. And then you'll automatically get the crack at the, the title, whoever wins that fight. And that's essentially what's happened here. I don't agree with it, but I am happy he is getting his rematch for a title is getting his title fight an opportunity to win it back and I suppose if he wins it in a great fashion against Rakimov again like he wins it and I'm not saying he'll knock him out but if he was because of how good of a boxer he is I honestly think a boxer like Joe Cardina will will run rings round Rakimov and, and make him look pretty average and I think it'll be a really interesting fight should Rakimov land to see what Joe Cardina could do in terms of an adverse moment so it is going to be an interesting fight but that's my knowledge of, of what's happened is, is is that, and that is why Joe Cardin is in this position. Love it or hate the decision, it's, it is it is what it is. And, you know, he's got the opportunity to fight for the title again, but he, he wasn't very happy about it, and there wasn't many people that were happy about it. It's boxing, it's politics, it's what we always complain about a lot. It is what it is, that's what I say, it is what it is. Uh, rest of the card, then. Luke Galal Yafai picking up a split decision over Gohan Rodriguez Garcia. And then his brother, Cal Yafai, coming back from a knockdown, a pretty heavy knockdown, to get a unanimous decision. Now, he's moved up to Bantamweight, and I was saying to Johnston in the preview for this particular fight that usually a, a guy at this age is coming off the back of a a, a bad loss, essentially, against Chocolatito Gonzalez. Been out of the ring for two years. To me, that was signaling the end of his career or the beginning of the end of his career. 
seeing the performance against Gerald Passier, I'm pretty convinced that there isn't much longer left for Calify in the sport. They both had pretty bad performances and they were bad in different ways. Calify is a guy I saw in Fresno, a random farm town, and he came from the UK, which must be a major cold sure shock for a UK fighter to fly like 12 hours to come to a small rural town. Looked great and then never kind of got back to where he was. With Galifi, is one of my favorite Olympians. And it's just, it's looking like his style is very effective in a three-round fight of just charging a guy. But in a 10-round fight, you're very vulnerable and you need to adjust. And it looks like they're rushing him into those 10-round fights because as we've talked about, there's a lot of sexy names, Chocolatito, rivalries. But I think they're moving a little too quick. And it gets dangerous when you try to move an undeveloped amateur who's a great amateur in the pro game because it is two different sports. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that some of them do transition really well. Some of them always say, my style's made for the pros, and it is. And then some of them have that style that transitions over to the pros and just it isn't as successful. It remains to be seen what Galal does and, and whether he can adapt and learn from this particular fight and, and change it up a little bit so that he can be more effective. I think it will certainly be a learning curve for him, that's for sure, with this particular fight. But he did get the win. Uh, Campbell Hatton, also on the card, got a great first-round stoppage win. Great body shot against Denise Bartos. Campbell Hatton, again, he's always being slated uh, a lot because of his limited amateur career, the fact that he's got to live up to his father's name. And I read a tweet that came from... Tank Davis last night, funnily enough. Uh, I'm not sure how this came about. I think it was, I think Hatton, Campbell Hatton had mentioned he'd love to, he would have loved to have avenged his father's loss to Floyd Mayweather. And then Tank Davis has come out saying something along the lines of, you know, he'd be, um, he'll be sitting with his dad one night having dinner and the next night he'll be eating his dinner through a straw. I just don't understand why, uh, why Javante Davis has kind of got involved there because he's way, way leagues above where Campbell Hatton is at the moment. And I honestly don't think Campbell Hatton, you know, being realistic, will get to that level, will get to that point where I think Davies is at the moment. So I just found it quite strange to see. Well, I mean, I think that's called being a young person. It's like I was thinking when you're talking about, oh, these guys say they have a guys or gals, I have a really good pro style. We never hear the boxer that goes, you know, I'm a really good amateur. I'm going to have to transition to the pros. We always hear the guy that, oh, I am I got a pro style, but we never hear, well, I'm really amateur and I got to really take my time. We never hear that guy. I think with that, it's Campbell Hatton, Ricky Hatton. They're very famous. Somebody probably sent it to Tank and he was like, you know what? This would be funny if I just do it because, and that's it. But I mean, Campbell Hatton, I kind of feel sorry for the guy. I think he's trying to bond with his father through boxing and he's just not elite. And we all know it. And we're just kind of watching him struggle. And the networks and promoters are like, come on, you liked Ricky Hatton. Get behind this guy. And it's just, it's not the same journey. No, it's not the same journey. I do feel for him. Bless him. You know, he's he's trying. He's trying. And you can kind of see, like, you feel like the promotion is setting him up for a fall at some point down the line. Like, they're going to build him up to this mountain and basically... You know, they're going to be at the top of the mountain with him and literally just 
dangling him over a ledge and they'll eventually put him in a fight where I think he'll get completely outclassed, embarrassed and maybe even stopped in the fight where then people will literally jump all over this guy and say, oh, you weren't that good anyway. Let's be honest, I think there's a lot of people already that feel he'll never reach the heights of his father and there's no shame in, in, in that being the case. I think people just put too much pressure on him for something that he's trying to make a living out of and he's been very fortunate that he's had that platform to do it on because of the legacy that his father has left behind. And that's what has got him into this platform. It does make a lot of people jealous, and I understand why, because there is a lot of guys out there and all these small shows that are absolutely clawing and scraping and chomping at the bit to get these, these big platforms. And, you know, Campbell comes along with limited experience and they chuck him straight into match room, he gets signed up, he gets put on his own, he's fighting on all these these cards. Some Some of them are quite big cards as well. And I can understand why it makes people jealous and envious of, of the position that he's in at the moment. But you can eventually see there's going to be a fall somewhere down the line. His father was a legend. Get over it. You know, if your father happens to be Ricky Hatton, you get bestowed some things other people don't because Ricky Hatton's a cultural icon. So that is the major, major fights of the weekend that I wanted to cover. Luke, here, any US fights from the weekend that you really enjoyed? Um, Andre Durrell versus Unetsky Gonzalez on Showtime Sports is a feed really weird broadcast. But if you just want to see two old guys punch each other, not a bad fight. I really hope that's the end of the career for Unetsky Gonzalez. Outside of that, Brian Mendoza got a knockout win over former champion Jason Rosario. It's kind of like one if you got nothing to do, throw it on. Mendoza will get an opportunity. And a sad story. Um, David Morrell beat and stopped Adios. I can't say his last name of Kazakhstan. And now he's in a medically induced coma, various reports. But I'd like to send uh, prayers and support to his family because that is an unfortunate side of boxing. And I, I'm sure no one takes great pleasure in seeing another fighter uh, fighting for their life, literally. So I think if people are not aware of that, um, sending some positivity to that fighter. Ditto, 100% agree. I did see that this morning. I did read it and it was uh, it's quite upsetting to see because no matter what, you don't want to see anyone go down that route. And, and hopefully, uh, whether it sort of bleeds on the brain or whether it's swelling and they put him in the coma to reduce all that, hopefully he will pull through and he will recover and he will be healthy again. Thoughts and prayers go out to him, of course. Well, that is it for this show. Thank you, Lukey, for coming on our Big Fight Reaction show as always. Thank you to everybody listening as always. You know where to find us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and even on TikTok. Some of the audiograms go up on there as well. Big shout out to our patrons, of course, for the podcast who get this episode ad-free and all our other patron-only content. If you're not a patron, you want to check it out, find us at BTR Boxing Podcast Patreon page on patreon.com. That is it for this episode. Lukey will be back with me for a big fight preview of this weekend's action. Better believe it. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.